Association Forum CEO Only Podcast. My name is Michelle Mason, President and CEO of Association Forum. And joining me today is a special guest, Kimberly Pendo, partner at Chicago Law Partners. Kimberly is also one of the lead attorneys working for years with Association Forum. Today, we will uh, have a conversation with Kimberly about legal questions related to COVID-19, a topic, an issue that we all have been dealing with over the past four to six weeks. Welcome, Kimberly. Thank you, Michelle. I'm so happy to be here this afternoon virtually and have this conversation with you. Awesome. Well, we're excited to have you. Kimberly, before we get started with the interview, uh, tell us a little about yourself. Sure. Um, I work obviously with Chicago Law Partners, where we primarily work with associations, trade associations, professional societies, um, charitable organizations, and all different types of not-for-profits. Um, we are here local in Chicagoland, but our, but our clients, our, our associations all, are, are all over the country, all over the world. Um, and we, you know, we, we value our partnership with the forum and all the good work that our, our clients and our member organizations are out there doing. Well, great. Well, we appreciate you. You keep us out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> we, we value that. All right, Kimberly, we're just going to jump in. And there's like, there are four questions actually that I have for you today. And this is very much a conversation. We just, you know, very committed to providing our members with the tools, resources, and the access to leaders like you to help make prudent business decisions as we navigate these uncertain times. So the first question I have for you, Kimberly, is this. How are associations dealing with governance issues in relation to not being able to hold in-person meetings? Specifically, the ability to hold virtual annual meetings, the ability to hold virtual House of Delegates meetings, and the effect of annual meeting cancellations on elections in terms of officers slash directors. Wow, there's a lot packed into that question, Michelle. So, you know, there's a lot of different things going on. And obviously, all of our different association clients um, have different processes in place and different ways that they hold their meetings. But I would say, you know, in dealing with the governance issues related to, you know, obviously the cancellation of a, a lot of our in-person annual conferences, people are really are pivoting. Um, we're taking a look at how we do things. We're, we're trying to hold the annual meetings virtually. Um, and if we're not able to hold the full breadth of the um, information and, and continuing education sessions um, virtually, uh, a lot of the clients are at least holding their, their meeting of their members virtually or their house of delegates meetings virtually so that you know the work, the business of the association can at least move forward and that we can move forward with our elections. So if, if you're lucky enough uh, to be in a state where virtual meetings um, are permissible and electronic voting is permissible, like the state of Illinois, and your bylaws permit you to take advantage of that flexibility offered under the law, um, our clients are, are moving to those virtual meetings, um, conducting electronic voting so that we're not stymied, things do move forward, um, so that we're not disenfranchising our members by the, by the failure to hold a, an election and, and keeping that work um, moving forward. Um, so I would say there's obviously it's a lot of change. Um, it's a lot of change for our members. 
um, you know, holding a virtual House of Delegates meeting um, requires new procedures to be in place um, um, that will obviously govern uh, the rules of that House of Delegates. Um, and people are just, are really, it's, it's amazing. They're making it work and, 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 and pivoting and, and reacting um, and making sure that the, the business, the work of the association can continue uh, and move forward. Um, you know, we've had a lot of questions out there from leaders, you know, obviously if it's, if it's the president's term uh, and a big part of being president is putting on that annual conference and, and working, you know, to come up with a theme for that meeting and it's an important part of the presidency. So as you can imagine, it's very disappointing, um, you know, to, to miss out on that experience and to see all that hard work come to fruition. So we have to be creative and think of other ways to make that happen. Um, but I do think it's important and, and, and the organizations are obligated to have those elections and, and you know, unfortunately move on to the next president if, if, if their term uh, is coming to a conclusion and, uh, and abiding by, you know, the requirements for holding uh, annual elections, the, the end of terms, uh, and, and again, moving forward with the work of the association. What are the legal implications to virtual meetings? So, you know, it, again, it depends on your state law. So in most states, organizations have the ability to, to meet virtually, if you will. So if you, if you have, hold a meeting by a conference call or, or any means of communication by which we can communicate with each other two-way, we can listen, we can hear, we can respond, um, typically that constitutes an in-person meeting. So presence at a virtual meeting or a, tele, or a conference call will be the same, it will be equivalent to holding an in-person meeting. Mm. Oh. So we're able to vote at, at a teleconference meeting or a video conference meeting or any of the great uh, platforms that we have available to us today. Mm, great, thank you. Second question, Kimberly. How can associations negotiate contracts relating to meeting cancellations with hotels, convention centers, and vendors? How do cancellation clauses affect this? So, you know, obviously, um, the word of the day is force majeure. And, and mm -hmm. I think my kids can tell you with great specificity what a force majeure clause is and how it works after hearing me the last couple of weeks, you know, work through all of these issues with our clients uh, and working on, unfortunately, canceling um, large meetings and, and ho you know, hotel uh, agreements, convention center agreements with our vendors. Um, so the, the key provisions in these in these contracts and, and you know, giving us the ability to, to terminate the agreements, hopefully without damages, liquidated damages or, or penalties, um, are the strength of our force majeure provisions. So, you know, if your force majeure provision says you have the right to cancel your hotel or convention center agreement because it's illegal or impossible or impractical um, to hold your meeting, um, you know, that's the provision you're going to be exercising in these times. But of course, it, it's very, you know, it, it is fact specific. We have to look at what's going on in the city, in the state where your meeting is being hold, held. What orders are out there restricting gatherings, um, restricting travel, stay-at-home orders. All of these, you know, the, the pandemic itself it, are going to be factors in determining and assessing and evaluating whether or not you can exercise those force majeure clauses that hopefully you negotiated for up front um, to rely on them in making those decisions to cancel your meeting. And you know, the, the timing is important. So obviously if, if we have a meeting, it's April 21st, 
today. If we have a meeting that's in May um, and we have governmental orders in place and, and travel bans and stay-at-home orders and restrictions on large gatherings, you know, we're going to have a very strong argument um, to exercise our termination rights under the force majeure provisions. But if we're looking at meetings in August and September, you know, it's probably too early right now um, to be able to say that we're prevented from holding that meeting for force majeure. Um, you know, perhaps there might be arguments if you have a very strong force majeure clause about commercial impracticality um, and, and other language that we could start to make arguments, but it does have to be, um, you know, within uh, a, a period of time where we can really have a strong argument um, that we can't hold that meeting. Um, and, and the cancellation clauses, you know, very much affect our ability. So it's very important. And, you know, moving forward to the future, we'll, we'll see how hard it will be to negotiate strong provisions with the hotels and convention centers and vendors that are obviously um, severely impacted, um, you know, by the, by the epidemic as, as our, our association clients. But it's important to negotiate those up front to, so that we have those rights. Um, and typically with our vendor agreements, you know, those run the gamut of what the cancellation provisions look like and force majeure provisions. You know, especially when we have vendors that are providing services before the meeting even starts. Um, you know, they're, they're up and writing. They're, there's a lot of work that's done, obviously, before the show floor opens. Um, typically, those agreements, while they may have force majeure provisions, they typically provide that the vendor gets paid for work done to date. Um, even though you may have the right to terminate going forward. So again, these are all important things um, to negotiate and to closely review um, on the front end so that we can rely on them, you know, in the unfortunate circumstance, we have to exercise them. How can we learn from this experience, recognizing that there are many associations that are impacted? Um, and mm -hmm. so as we think about negotiating moving forward, what would be the staff versus legal counsel role? So for example, would you suggest that legal counsel be engaged up front versus uh, later in the process? You know, I, I always think if you have, you know, good legal counsel that's creative and flexible and, and helps you get things done, that it, it's important to engage them earlier in the process mm -hmm. so that you're not renegotiating after your business partners right. think they already have a deal. So, you know, you, you mm -hmm. have an agreement that the staff has been through totally. They've given comments back to the, to the hotel or the vendor. And then all of a sudden you say, oh, wait, I have to send it to legal. And then there's a lot more changes because I, I find that um, the other side gets frustrated. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think that it's, it's important to involve legal counsel up front. Um, and work together, and, you know, to achieve a common goal and, and, and make the process go smoothly moving forward. Great. Third question, Kimberly. <laughs> How can organizations negotiate or renegotiate their lease during this time? So this is a, it's an excellent question. And I know there's a lot of talk about this. And I have to say that while it doesn't hurt to, to, to try and renegotiate your lease, you're not really in a, probably not in a strong position to do so. Um, I think that, you know, obviously relationships are very important. And if you have a, a strong relationship with your landlord, um, you know, and you can demonstrate that it's better for them to, you know, to, to stay in the lease than default on the lease, um, you know, maybe you'll get somewhere. 
Um, however, I've found, and you know, this, I'm not making a blanket statement because I, I don't profess to know, but landlords are really taking a tough line. Um, they're in a very difficult situation as well. Um, obviously, they have obligations to meet uh, to run and operate the building um, based on you know their their current leases in place. So, you know, I think it doesn't hurt to try, um, but I also think we need to look at you know, hopefully securing some of the government um, relief that's available as well to help us to help us meet our, our obligations. So let's, let's pivot to government assistance. What are your thoughts about the payroll protection program as well as the COVID uh, disaster relief funding? We know that 501c6 and five organizations are not included in the current package, and they are a significant advocacy effort for inclusion in the upcoming package. Uh, any thoughts, just open thoughts about that? You know, I, I think it's, 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 it's challenging. Um, and, you know, I think that while the PPP funds might not be available right now yet, hopefully they will to 501c6 organizations, there are other small business administration loans um, that are available. Um, obviously the terms are not <laughs> as favorable. There, are, there, there is an interest rate and they are repay, they must be repaid, um, but, there, but there are other avenues uh, as well. Um, you know, hopefully we'll see um, more funding coming down the pipeline. Um, but it's, it's definitely challenging times. It is, it is. What we're encouraging members to do is to apply um, and let's just see what happens. Hopefully there'll be a perfect uh, storm and the advocacy efforts will be effective. Yeah, absolutely. It does not hurt to get that application on file and, you know, you absolutely. need to work with your bank. Um, and again, those banking relationships are very essential too. Some banks are doing mm -hmm. a much better job than others of getting those applications through. Um, it's actually um, amazing to see the difference. Absolutely, for sure. All right, here's our fourth question. Are there legal issues that organizations okay. should be aware of when rescheduling events? Yes. So, you know, I think you need to be really careful now in rescheduling events, um, you know, especially if you're really just postponing them. Um, I think there's so much unknown right now um, that we just don't know when it will be safe to meet in large groups again. Um, and, mm -hmm. and, and even if we can do so, what will be the economic situation of our members? Will they be able to afford to go? Will, do, will they be employed? Um, if they are employed, you know, will they be able to get away to go to a conference? So I would say, you know, when re if you are rescheduling event, make sure to very carefully read those contracts and give yourself every, every ability uh, to cancel again. And, and you know, um, and a lot of flexibility if you're gonna, if you're, if you're gonna move forward um, to reschedule the event. Um, I will say also, perhaps maybe not rescheduling, but coming back to the city. Let's say you were supposed to be in New Orleans this year, um, and you know you you like to cancel that event. Um, you know, I, I think coming back to the city with a plan to to return to their city when you're when your media will permit, will go a long way with business agreements um, without penalty with, with your hotels and your convention center. Um, and that's a really important tool to keep in mind as you go through this process as well. 
Yeah, for sure. It is a process. And something that just came to my mind in, in this on the mind of so many is re-entry. Are there any legal um, considerations as it relates to re-entering the workplace? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, our whole, I, I think our normal is going to be a new normal. <laughs> um, I think as we start to think about reopening our workplaces, we're gonna have to think about how to do that in a safe way. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been hearing things about perhaps, you know, staggering um, work days to reduce the number of people in, in the office at the same time, um, you know, rethinking the lunchroom, um, definitely having sanitation stations and hand sanitizer available, um, you know, discouraging, keep still maintaining sort of social distancing even within the office. Um, and so, you know, you know, hopefully we'll have some more guidance um, from the CDC and from, from the state. Um, but I think at least for a, for, a, for a long period of time, perhaps, I don't think any of us know when, we're going to have to think about things like this when, when we um, start planning to, to returning to the office. Absolutely. And also the impact that uh, some of the provisions in the CARES Act will have on HR policies is something right. for us to be uh, thinking about because you are currently reviewing our HR policies <laughs> so that we're in compliance. <laughs> All right. So this is the final question, I promise. What's keeping you awake at night? Oh, my gosh. What's keeping me awake at night? Um, Great question. A lot. I worry about our clients. Um, <laughs> I, I worry about, you know, their viability moving forward. I'm obviously worried about the health of my family. Um, I'd like to see my mom again <laughs> in person. Yeah, um, and, I know. I feel the same. Yeah. And I, and I worry about everyone in isolation and, and what, you know, what the world looks like when we come through this. Um, Hopefully we'll be stronger together and learn from some lessons um, from all of this. Um, I hope so. Yeah, I, I, I as well. Kimberly, we uh, appreciate your time today. We appreciate the knowledge that you share with us, the insights. You know, we are together joined in the same hope that the association community will emerge stronger from this crisis, more creative, more innovative, and more united would be the goal and in all in good health. So thank you so much for, for spending some time with us today and help us, helping us understand some of the legal uh, issues that are out there in the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Uh, with that said, I wish everyone listening um, good health, well-being. Until next time.